Matt, the the people have been waiting. Um, we've yeah. it's kind of a cliffhanger last week. You know, you talked about resurrecting a camera from from the the death of uh, the the hardware, uh, I guess strap, scrap heap. So fill us in. You did it. You actually got the camera to work. Uh, not the camera, the phone. Right. So yes, I gave Sorry. up. I I gave up on the Canon. Um, Sure shot SX520. So that was no, was that officially <laughs> recycled or was that put back in the bin no, to maybe be hope? Yeah, of course. You know, back in the drawer. Yeah. Maybe eventually somebody cracks the firmware open on that thing. Or or, or maybe one of my kids t- develops a passion for, you know, uh prosumer grade, you know, <laughs> click and shoot cameras. I don't know. Um now nah, we'll probably all just keep using our phones. But mm-hmm. uh I did unlock how to get um the, the Android phone working with Zoom uh, through the our, the Irion app. It, it was it was quite the slog. It involved Googling, and once I found out that uh, that was called a virtual camera, I right. found out that there was a recent build of Zoom that broke that. Yes, and a whole Reddit thread. Yeah, and people uh, were very about, upset, right? They were, but this, but in for in defense of Zoom, it was because of security, right? That was why they. I guess they did yeah. not support that. Is is that what I read? I don't correctly? know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, they their 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 release notes were like we disabled it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but in all fairness, it was within several bullet points of one talking about security. Okay, so, so maybe they were related. They were in the same release. First of all, all 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 release notes start with uh, bug fixes and enhancements. That's always how it is. Bug instability enhancements. That's always the yeah. first line of every set of uh, release notes. So. All right, so so describe the scene then. You have the you now have the phone that is just plugged in via what USB, right? Just a regular old yeah. USB into yeah, your yeah, Mac, yeah. okay? A uh, USB C, yeah. Okay, and it's it's and, just now a webcam. It's just a virtual camera on your on your Mac. Uh, yes, it can be. Um, it's it's uh, we, you know, you and I are talking video conferencing right now. Yeah. Um, I'm not using it uh, because it's you know it's a floppy phone that you know I don't have a stand for it. Right. Uh, but I ordered one. It's on the way. Okay. It's on the way. So I will soon have a replacement for my paltry 720p webcam, and it will be glorious Pixel 2 back-facing cam, whatever quality that is. It looks really nice. All right. So next um, week when we're talking, I'll, you'll be using the camera, and I will be able to see every hair on that, that nice beard that's grow that quarantine <laughs> beard, even where it's getting a little gray. Down there, I'll be able to tell exactly the strands where it's getting a little gray and getting wait, a wait. little... It's- I don't think it's getting gray. I think it's getting brown. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my, my quarantine beard is starting to draw commentary. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah, uh, it, it, it'll, it'll be nice. And, okay. and I've gone professional. I've gone professional. It has one of those ring lights. Oh, okay. So, so that, we should talk about this for a second. So right now, I would say you have no professional lighting, but you do look like you're talking to me as if the sun were behind you because it must be a very sunny day down uh, in Australia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you look, whoa, sun, whoa, man, I'm going to be blinded for for light. So you're, but this is what people say is you don't want all the light behind you. You want more light in front of you. So you're going full ring yeah. light. You're getting a nice, like a big one. How big did you go? Well, it was cheap, right? Um, it was like... <laughs> 20 bucks for the stand and the adjustable led ring light mm-hmm. um so it's got like a, a clamp that goes onto the back of the monitor and then it has a, a a phone holder and the little ring light so i can uh i can be better lit and my you know five hours of zoom calls a day that's fantastic and i think we need a green screen behind you and you're <laughs> ready you know what maybe jj will have you on his uh twitch channel you maybe you could live stream with him a little bit you know, I, I've listened to uh, the the new incarnation of Drunken Retired. Uh-huh. Um, I should be on that. I, I I don't know how it's happened, but I feel like I'm mentioned every other episode. <laughs> There's no way we could get you on that. We don't know anyone that 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 talks on that. It's just, we don't have any ends. There's just no. no way. It's not, impossible to get you on that no. that show. So, but uh, yeah. So so I'm I'm going I'm going professional streamer. But really, when we come down here, all this time and effort comes down to you're going from 720p to whatever the Pixel 2 camera is. And so that's going to be the true test of was it worth it. Next week, can I see you in glory? I guess HD. I mean, what do I mean? Do I have to get a new monitor just to test this out? I mean, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I have the fidelity, uh, image quality the, to really see the difference. The key to 
repurposing old use less useful hardware is you don't think about how much time you've wasted trying to do it. <laughs> That's right. Never. <laughs> because then you'll be like, how much do I make an hour? At no uh, point you know, do you total up the time and effort to, of the actual cost to understand the time you wasted. That's that's very important to doing these projects. All right. Well, I look forward to it. I look forward to uh, seeing this camera. I think I – think, uh, but the world needs uh, a way to repurpose old cell phones into cameras because evidently people are cannot get, I guess, Logitech. All of everyone's out of webcams, so it's probably exactly. a legitimate thing. Well, one other thing before we get into some of the news of the week, I wanted to ask you this other thing. So Tim Bray has been in the news a lot this week. You can go read his blog. It's in the show notes. He left Amazon. We'll just leave it at that. But the software-defined talk part of this I want to talk about is Without a doubt, every time he was mentioned in the quote-unquote mainstream media or just mainstream press, he was referred to as one of the original authors of XML. <laughs> My question to you, like on your gravestone, on your tombstone, right, would you want to, want to be known as one of the creators of XML? Is XML, <laughs> like do we consider XML... Like if someone said like I you know I'm trying to think of other like what uh, was it Bill Joy like wrote wrote Solaris basically right you know so it's like that's pretty I mean pretty awesome I think it's great like but XML I mean is XML successful do you consider that like is that a successful technology that you would want to be like um, I guess you know discussed in in your legacy um probably. Okay. <laughs> well, right. I mean, well, okay. Let me ask you this. Like, take a step back. Take uh-huh. a step back. If you think about the sorts of projects that most developers work on, right? Um, nobody loves everything, right? Nothing is universally loved, mm-hmm. right? Uh, even, even like you know, Linux um, is not universally loved. You don't think everyone no. is happy that there's Linux exists? No. In no. the developer community, uh, no. There's someone who's like, oh, we don't need this. Like, really? There'll be, you you got your Solaris folks, you got your BSDs, you got your Windows folks who are like that Linux stuff, you got your Mac people. There are haters everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) The the fact of the matter is XML did solve some problems. For some use cases, it did. But just like Linux, maybe it shouldn't be used for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking, but I I was... was, And... I'm thinking about running Linux on the desktop again. Oh my gosh. Jeez. <laughs> you and Dustin. Uh, okay. My thing about XML is sort of like, I thought XML, even at the time, so I think we have to go back in time a little bit, like when it was becoming popular. I believe at the time, the, and this is kind of what I think about a technology, sometimes something comes out, is really good, gets replaced with something better. But even at the time, XML was somewhat widely new, popular, and we were all getting to know it. I think we all... I think there was a popular opinion that it was both very slow and hard to read. So it had, if you will, <laughs> the worst of all worlds, right? It's like I don't get the readability of that I would potentially like, uh, and I don't get the performance. And I think that was a critique then that never left it. It was always like, whoa, I have to parse all this crap. It's really slow. And then if I have to edit it, I have to get involved in it, it's generally unreadable once it becomes fairly – complicated and i don't even say complicated just sort of like once you start to look at beyond the hello world xml it is just like this is not helpful uh in day-to-day so that's why i think i look well, back on xml as like i don't know if it really would be considered successful but, but but it was it was it was a stake in the ground when you know there the the ground was kind of moving around and and you know not very well established it's not like it's not like somebody showed up and said you know this json needs to be replaced with tabs in white space right <laughs> um you know xml the precursors to xml were like you know crickets and i and i files it was it was not well established you know what was going on uh you had just poorly formed you know data uh, you know, data for- formats, you know, or right. fairly human readable data formats. And so it was, it was a, I, I maintain it was a good effort. Okay. It was so a good effort. I think you're right. You're reminding me. That's a fair thing. So, I mean, I guess, is it better than <laughs> random text files, comma <laughs> yes. delimited, tab delimited, space, you know, just, just the craziness right, at that I point. Mean, y- y- Having to write out, you know, your own marshalling libraries. Um, okay, true. Like, like it still pains me to this day that we shipped software 
at a company you and I worked with oh. where marshalling was misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> and it was in all the APIs. And it just it kills me. Uh, there's no E in marshalling. Um, but but anyway, it, it was like we, we had our own, you know. We did. Uh, we had the whole thing. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you're right. So I guess you're true. I mean, everyone was writing their own. There was a lot of just poorly formatted text files of all kinds being used. So I, I will. Okay, so maybe I'll give XML that. It pushed the ball forward, and then we all learned. Well, I guess – And so now this is where I'm going today. It's like, have we settled it? Is, is, back to your thing, everybody hates everything, but JSON. Yes. Like, JSON. Have we settled it? It's like JSON. Good enough. Like, I think everybody – like, sure, everyone has their gripes and stuff, but it feels like most major languages support it. There's plenty of people uh, – libraries out there, a lot of the popular APIs, all that. It's like, yeah, just give me some JSON. I'm happy. Like is yeah. do we need like is there need does does there need to be more work done in this area? Uh, probably I don't know. Um, I, the the key is whatever you do at this point has to be JSON compatible. Yes, right, right. You know, and and it just becomes this lingua franca for for you know transmitting data. I mean, I was I was uh, doing a webinar yesterday, and I I kind of joked not joked that you know at least 50 percent of my programming time is just moving things in and out of json um and you know that's really true because you know you spend your time talking to apis and converting things back and forth from you know clis or web responses in and out of json that's mm-hmm. what we do <laughs> um i mean some of you guys are luckier but uh uh you know and, and then it's like output of things into JSON, making sure it's formatted properly for JSON. It's escaped right for JSON. Um, that's that's a lot of programming these days. It feels like yeah. it is, but I think that's, I don't know, I, it goes back even before all of this, I, I used to just say, it's like, well, we're just moving strings, right? That's that's probably what I would have said. It was, and yeah, of course, yeah. in like C, C++, like everybody had their own like string library because we were, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, it's the Stone Ages, right? Like everybody wrote their own. I don't know why. And maybe there was like the standard S, STL library, but even that had its own quirks. So so we've come a long way. At least we have some standardized way of going. But, but you know, everyone complains about YAML, of course, right? And I was yeah. reading... Because I was like, well, I was like it, well, this is my, but YAML is a superset of JSON. Like, it was it, how does it go? It's like JSON, all JSON is YAML, but not all YAML is JSON. Is that, is that correct? Am I getting that, that right? Sounds, it's like some kind of superset right. thing. So, but I was like, why is everyone complaining about YAML? It's just basically a little extra JSON. Like, why? I mean, it, that you complain about it because the white spaces can be infuriating. You know, when, when things, when you accidentally have three instead of two mm-hmm. or, you know, you, it's, when, when things fall to indentation, it makes it harder on humans, right? right? There's no vagueness in JSON. But isn't right? this things like are, the, this isn't, isn't this the Python programmers? Like, can we just get rid of them? Yeah. I mean, I feel like they started this whole thing with the white space. Like, but, I, you know, at this point, they're like kind of a, a, I don't know if they're a majority, but they're a large percentage of of developers. Right? I think it's too late to like, um, try to get brackets into Python. Can we just like uh, <laughs> can we just propose I, that like send not, in not, a, not, a a pull yeah, request like not, hey we we have some thoughts on the grammar here like we uh, no, we'd like to get involved in this. No, I, I've been listening to too much of the uh, the Oxide uh, Compute podcast, and I'm ready to go learn Rust and go back to like machine level. Programming. I'm surprised they're even there. I'm surprised <laughs> they're just not like you know, machine level coding at this point. Just just uh, the old school. I mean, does any high-level language meet their needs at, at this point? <laughs> would be the best question there. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, XML, I, again, XML, we appreciate you moving the ball forward, but it's yes. okay. It's okay that you're retired. I don't miss you. I don't miss you at all. I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with JSON. In fact, yeah, I would prefer it, that we just settled in on that. At least while I'm still involved in this industry, let's just keep it at JSON. Let's, let's no, not, no new massive formats. And what you said was great. Do whatever you want. Just make it compatible with JSON. There you go. All right. There we have it. All right, Matt. Well, big news this week. A lot of earnings, and this is going to shock you. Uh, Amazon, they're doing really well. Have you heard that before? But did you know? Let me tell you how well they're they're doing. AWS tops $10 billion in quarterly revenue for the first time. So um, Amazon's market-leading cloud business crossed $10 billion revenue for the first time in the first quarter, at $10.22 billion, Amazon Web Services grew 33% on an annualized basis, the company said in a statement on Thursday. So, so basically we're looking at a $40 billion company if we do annualize that run rate. And I, I'm just 
totally blown away, right? I mean, I think sometimes we talk about Amazon too much, and then I read stuff like this, and I think to myself, we don't talk about them enough. Like, the success here <laughs> is just unprecedented. A couple other things. One, AWS delivered 13.5% of Amazon's total revenue, so that's all the retailing business, the movies, the Prime, all that, so that's a huge number. And then the final one that I thought was just kind of shocking when I read it was AWS is now bigger than all of Oracle, which was founded almost 30 years earlier. Oracle reported quarterly revenue last month of 9.8 billion. So just, you know, just under that. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's anything other to do here other than just say congratulations, but I I mean, (laughs) I I don't, Well, I guess it's it's kind of back to like, I think we'd always talk about who's going to displace Amazon. We'll talk about Microsoft's earnings in a second, but I don't know. I mean, they're just so far and away, so dominant. It's hard to uh, picture a time when um, when they're going to be taken down. What, what did you think when yeah. you saw these earnings? Uh, you know, the rich get richer. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think um, I'm with uh, I'm with Tim Bray a bit, where I'm like, and these are the guys complaining about giving you know, um, you know, slightly better benefits and protective measures for their factory workers. Um, yeah, I. I it it wasn't unexpected um but also it's kind of like you know what are they doing to <laughs> what are they doing to to make you know things better for for more people um i you know i i think i was in a, a pessimistic mood when i saw that and and i'd probably just finished reading tim bray's article um and then you know which led to uh the article uh the immunity of the tech giant by kara swisher um where she kind of talks about the fact that you know in these current environment, we're seeing a lot of layoffs uh, from you know smaller tech companies. You know, people uh, going out of business. Uh, I think we've got some numbers um, in the show notes about you know folks like uh, Nutanix and uh, Airbnb and everybody else laying stuff off. And the people, who, the the companies. See, I say people, but they're they're companies. The companies that are surviving are thriving. Right. You know, so Amazon and uh, Azure and, and Google, you know, they're all going to get bigger and stronger, which also so many small tech startups are going out of business. There's going to be kind of a, a winter of of uh, new development, you know, um, because, you know, a lot of great stuff happens at those big clouds, but they're not, you know, it, it's like the old quote about, you know, the smartest people don't all work here. And so uh, you need that thriving ecosystem of, of alternatives. And I, a lot of the alternatives are, are going away. And I, I saw another comment the other day that like AWS still hasn't started up any acquisition engines, right? They haven't started going hunting for M&As, you know, and if they did, well, you know, that could easily take out a lot more um, variety, <laughs> which, you know, working at a potential target, maybe I'd like some money, but uh, variety is, is kind of nice. Yeah, we'll just put some numbers here to what you're saying there um, in that article that Kara Switcher wrote. You know, she cites a couple of different things, and, and these numbers are sort of staggering when you read them out. So, current market caps of at least a couple of days ago: Marcus, Microsoft's at 1.32 trillion, Apple's at 1.26 trillion, Alphabet, of course, that's Google, that's 900 billion, and Facebook coming <laughs> trailing way behind is 577 billion. So, and then of course Amazon, they're over a trillion, or at least they were last time we looked. So, I mean, it is, I mean, it's, it's staggering and it's kind of back to that Oracle comment. Like, you know, I think we think of IBM and Oracle as big companies. Like I think sort of growing up, like you heard those names a lot and even being you know in the industry for a while. But when you think about it, they're essentially, you know, anywhere from five times smaller to 10 times smaller, depending on what you think of it. And you think of those as being fairly large companies. So it's, it is pretty uh, amazing. So I don't know. I mean, I think it just shows what you said before that clearly people are consolidating on AWS in, um, into some degree, Microsoft Azure, let's give some numbers there, their um, revenue, they reported. So it's slightly different. It's a little bit hard to like figure out because they kind of put things all together. But some of the financial analysts, they put around Microsoft Azure revenue at 20 billion. They're growing at 59% and they believe the gross margins likely approaching 60%. So as you think of that, it's really second place, but you kind of see the distance there, right? Um, between the two. So, so I don't know. I mean, as we kind of go forward, I think you're right. It is a little bit you know, I think it's great that people are embracing the cloud. I mean, it's obviously these companies are doing great, but I think maybe the question going forward will just be just how big did these companies get? Now, 
I will just say one thing that um, as big as companies get, there's always something always happens. And I don't know what it is. And if I did, I'd be starting that company. But there's going to come a day or time when some of these, the strengths of all these data centers and these clouds may look like weaknesses. And I just think that seems to be how this stuff really plays out. I know there will be a lot of people talking about various other solutions, but like that would be my bet. It's just something we can't see right now that seem, will seem obvious to us in a few years will happen that may you know, shake this market loose a little bit. But right now, it would be hard to say like, why these companies would be vulnerable going forward. Well, yeah, and that and that's why you see such a an emphasis on by the likes of you know uh, IBM and uh, HPE on on things like edge computing, you know, because <laughs> it's something that uh, the big you know the big three uh, don't dominate yet, <laughs> and and I say yet because you know they're not ignoring it, and mm-hmm. and so um, I mean you could totally see something like you know Amazon buying up. Uh, getting into 5g or google or you know somebody like that where you know they not only do they control like the the compute at the middle but you know the the transport to it and and then it's like you know that just kind of extends what they're doing um yeah i i i think what's different about the tech scene today is you're not going to catch the the incumbents unaware you know they are watching uh, and um, have, have proven again and again that they're perfectly capable of, you know, either acquiring or co-opting whatever they see that possibly might be a threat. Um, you know, so you know, we talk about things like, oh, well, you know, serverless or uh, containers. Are, you know, they they might displace that, and it's like, no, they just made it, you know, tighter, as as we see in in like the uh, uh, state of cloud native development survey, um, Amazon you know, far and away leading the pack on the, on something that Google thought might give them a competitive advantage. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's going to come down to it's, it's going to have to be something that the incumbents kind of willfully ignore. They evaluate and they decide amongst themselves, uh, you know, kind of back to innovators dilemma and things like that, that, that this is clearly something that's not worthy of their time or their investment at this point. And that's, what's going to, you know, whatever this new fi- thing I'm making up in my mind, right, is that's what's going to let something else grow. Um, but it's, again, like, it only happens, like, if we knew that, if anyone knew that, they would just do it, right? But Well, the, yeah, I, they're not going to choose to, <laughs> they can't uh, choose to, you know, try to dominate everything. So mm-hmm. there will be entire fields of compute that, like, they don't care about, um, you know, mobile or, uh, you know, they, they definitely care about mobile. A lot of the stuff lives to backend or, you know, gaming. Well, you know, they don't care about that as a platform, you know, and hardware is much of a platform, but as long as they control, you know, the backend and, and, you know, have, have a finger in that, that pie they're they're, you know, they're going to be, they're going to do all right. They're going to do all right. They're going to be okay. Well, let's talk about a company that is trying to challenge AWS a little bit. And I think this was interesting. So black backblaze, I think they're best known yep. as kind of the, the backup of, uh, you know, laptops, notebooks, whatever. Right. And they do all kinds of stuff. I think a lot of enterprises, um, provide black blaze to their customers, let them back up and restore their, their personal or in uh, corporate notebooks and laptops, but they have uh, announced that they're making their storage compatible with Amazon S3. So, so first, my question is that is that just mean as simple as they're just basically using the same API? I mean, is there anything yeah. else? And like that isn't like where did we come down? There's all these lawsuits and everyone was mad. I know Oracle was suing people. That is that's okay, right? Like that is not breaking. Is that <laughs> Matt? You're the resident lawyer here. Is that okay? Is anyone getting in trouble for doing that? Um, I think it's still kind of a murky area because Oracle and Google are still going back and forth over the, uh, you know, last I heard, it's still not settled. Okay. Um, but lots of people have been shipping S3 compatible APIs. When I when I saw this article, I was like, they weren't already doing that? You know, I was, I was kind of surprised because, um, you know, I work with a lot of different, you know, enterprise tools and, uh, you know, backing things up to S3, very, very common. And lots of stuff ships with S3 compatible APIs. And there are, you know, there are libraries that will be the middleman for you where, you know, there'll be an S3 API and write to file systems or to databases or to different cloud providers. So I just assumed this already existed. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably 
you know, putting on my not a real lawyer hat, uh, probably at this point, it would be hard for Amazon to sue anybody because they've let the world use their S3 APIs without um, going after anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, I think and, that's... And, and that's part of the, the key of, of like, you know, uh, trademark uh, is, is whether or not you enforce it. Right. Protect your trademark. So, well, I think that's maybe the question I had too, is like, well, does Amazon, is this good or bad for Amazon? It's like, you know, if they become the de facto standard, that's a good thing, right? Because then it sort of gives them yeah. some control. Um, of course they have the option then to start changing the API if they want, and that would just make everyone mad. Um, so, but it would make the world mad. I mean, there, there's so much S3 compatible stuff out there. Right. So I think it's one of these things they, I think they probably count on a success, right? They're like, yeah, we've defined the API and everybody thinks of S3. Even when you say S3, at least in the world of the tech community, people know it's Amazon. So it becomes some implicit brand. Um, exactly. So I guess the, the better question I just thought is like, wow, I mean, can Backblaze do it better, faster, cheaper than AWS. That just, this does seem like the hardest kind of thing to compete against. Like, and so on one hand, you say Amazon has so much money and so much scale that they would for sure be faster, cheaper. But then like anything else, if your entire business is all only about storage, maybe there is some optimization that you get better, faster, yeah. cheaper. I- and you, all you think about is storage, whereas Amazon's thinking about, well, I don't even know. All 170 well, we, 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 things in the in the console. Yeah, we talked about this last week with uh, with with uh, uh, the Oracle and and DigitalOcean. Uh, you know, the the blog post and uh, you know Oracle getting their their Spotify. Um, you know, the competitive advantage there was network transit, um, and it's not because you know I'll bet you a large sum of money that Amazon does not pay more for that you know, backbone than Oracle and DigitalOcean do. It's just they're willing to keep fatter margins. Right. And and so in this case, you know, Backblaze, yeah, they probably have some efficiency gain by being a specialist in, you know, backup and, and storage. But, you know, they're not running at the same scale as Amazon. You know, they're probably within an order of magnitude, which is by itself really impressive. Um but it's not the efficiency. It's probably just they have smaller margins on that stuff. And Amazon is probably happy to keep, you know, you know, people probably look at Amazon's prices and like, that's that's ridiculously cheap. Right. And then they look at Backblaze and they're like, well, I guess that's even cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and Backblaze is like, we can carve out a market here and this is still plenty efficient. I mean, Amazon doesn't need to drop their prices. You know, they're a $40 billion company. They're doing all right. If they drop their prices, it eats into that $40 billion. That's true. That's true. So, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested to see how it goes with uh, Backblaze. I don't, I was trying to think, was it Marantis? Who was, <clears throat> who copied all the APIs for a while? Was it in, um, that's not uh, Eucalyptus. Mar- Eucalyptus, not Marantis, sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even think they're and related. Then- but like, but it, it sort of didn't go well there, right? It ended. I remember what we talked about it at the time. HP bottom. Yep. And I don't think anything happened. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no. No. So, so I do think. I think. I mean, I think yeah. Eucalyptus. To their credit, another I think they year. found a very focused area to compete in. It would obviously, you know, because Eucalyptus was doing all the APIs, right? So that seems that was. I don't know. That's not going to work out. That doesn't seem like a good business strategy. So all right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back please. Well, listen. As excited as I am about Blackblaze, I'm even more excited to tell you about today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you transitioning your team to work from home, managing a gazillion SSH keys, database passwords, and Kubernetes certs? Meet StrongDM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With StrongDM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access. Automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles. Grant temporary access that automatically expires to on-call teams. Admins get a full audit trail into anything anyone does when they connect, what queries they run, what commands are typed. It's full visibility into everything. For SSH, RDP, and Kubernetes, that means video replays. For databases, it's a single unified query log across all database management systems. StrongDM is used by companies like Hearst, Peloton, Betterment, Greenhouse, and SoFi to manage access. It's more control and less hassle. StrongDM, manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. 
Start your free 14-day trial at strongdm.com slash STT. Again, that's strongdm.com slash STT. And, of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. And, man, I heard you mention it before, but we found some interesting survey uh, about some of the cloud providers like DigitalOcean that we don't always talk about. So in the state of cloud-native development, the new survey, what jumped out at you? Uh, well, uh, the first thing they jumped out was, was their number of, uh, cloud native developers. They said there were 4.7 million. I have no idea where that number came from. Um, I mean, I, Better I don't question. know how you qualify. What qualifies <laughs> you to be a cloud native developer? That was, yeah, that's what I was going to say was, you know, what, what qualifies a cloud native developer? It's like, am I, am I a cloud native developer? Um, you know, I, I mean, I use some cloud every day, uh, Amazon so login. Does everybody a login to yeah. any one of the major clouds? Some PHP, I, some Ruby. Yes. Like, well, yeah, do I, do I need to know Node? Because I don't. Um, probably. That's probably. I, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, you know, probably down in the in the details, they explain some of their methodologies. I'm sure there's a lot of extrapolation, but you know, uh, it sounds good. You know, there there are a lot of developers. I mean, the things that I mostly pay attention to are uh, the Asia and and uh, Oceania numbers. Um, which were kind of interesting, um, you know, for, <laughs> uh, this just in, uh, APAC doesn't use a lot of cloud. Uh, but surprisingly, Australia was, um, had a very high penetration of serverless. So, uh, that was, that was interesting. Those were kind of my takeaways and not, not exactly, uh, surprising, but nice to see that they captured that. All right. But know? just a couple of numbers that I wanted to get your take on one, First was 1.7 million developers are using Kubernetes. Like, I don't know. I mean, using Kubernetes again, because we need to quite we need to look into that statistic. But does that mean you've just like downloaded something? You've really like I, I don't know that that seemed quite high. Like as really yeah. as, as people really if I I think if you say you're using it, you're using it some professional capacity, right? Not just you, like yeah, or, or you know that you're using it. <laughs> <laughs> Because you could be just throwing, you know, committing code that some, you know, DevOps team, you know, massages into getting deployed onto Kubernetes. It's like, are you a Kubernetes developer? Are you just the, you know, the the front end guy who moves widgets around? It's like, no, you're the front end guy who moves widgets around, but you know, somehow you ended up in a survey data point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, know. I don't know. That that's my my take on that. Yeah, I just, I, and then what about this one? Three point three million developers are using serverless architecture and cloud functions. Again, is this like you've written a cloud? I've written a cloud function. I mean, it doesn't do anything. It's like a low world cloud function. So I don't know if I'm in that number, but this seems crazy. Like I just don't, I, at least that, or I'm missing it. Like I, I don't feel like serverless is nearly that widely adopted as, as far as like doing things in production for businesses day to day. So I was, I mean, that this number shocks me. You know, you know what that could count though. It could be like people who have hit a Twilio API. Okay. Right. Okay. Or a ServiceNow yeah. API, or, or not ServiceNow, but uh, you know a Salesforce API. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, if you're using a SaaS, are you using serverless? Okay. Does that you know, do you get looped into it that way? Mm-hmm. You know, because they're like, oh, I, what if I auth to you know Okta? You know, am I now a serverless user? I think well, that's I am. interesting because you get into the there. Okay, so the three dominant uh, players in serverless based on this, I don't think are surprising at all. AWS, Google Cloud Functions. I was a little surprised to see them second. So that was that was maybe... Um, it, it was really close. Yeah. And then Azure Functions. So those three are clearly in there. And then I, like, as we kind of alluded to at the early first part of the show, Amazon clearly dominant. 51% of the server, all serverless, as far as I can tell, are based on the surveys in Lambda. So again, you know, Amazon has half the market. But Matt, the, the, the other two were kind of shocking to me. Like, Twilio. I do not think of Twilio as having a serverless platform. I have to say, I went out but to the website. But that's what they are, right? <laughs> I think of them though as really the SMS, right? I always think of them right, as the right. communication. So I don't, I, you know, I just would love to. I want someone to. I want to talk to someone from Twilio. I want to know more about Twilio because I was like, well, would they really? You know, would you really go to Twilio for a general purpose serverless application, or would you just say, no, no, I have a communications based app. And like while I'm here, like while I'm writing some SMS and doing some other yeah. things, I'll just go ahead and stick this on Twilio. 
that that's that's what I was kind of getting at. Is like you know the 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 murkiness of serverless versus um, you know SaaS is you know some of these SaaSes are offering you know APIs where oh you can throw some you know some functions into our API and we'll execute them. So probably you know I I have not used Twilio um, in probably eight or nine years. Uh, probably you know there there's a way in Twilio to throw a function into an API and it has a little bit of logic and it processes your function before it sends an SMS or, you know, a yeah. notification well, or whatever. They have the whole serverless you. platform. They have the whole thing. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was really surprised that they're fifth. So I guess maybe they are fourth rather. They're, I mean, it's just it's interesting. I mean, they must. And I, I think this is the, you know, so many things send SMS messages today. And I'm sure Twilio does a lot more than this. Okay. Because I know they have those security portfolio and they have other stuff. So I don't want to like, you know, yeah, I know. When, yeah. Text, when, text the voice and, and listen, you know, but when phone I know calls. Twilio, yeah. It's like, hey, I need to send that. When I think of Twilio, I'm like, oh, I need to yeah, yeah. sending some SMS. Uh, although they have this other thing I would like to play with, the WhatsApp. They have a WhatsApp plugin now. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's up with that. Um, so I think it's interesting. But it, it does, you know, it, uh, look at like, it looks like at least that, you know, they are trying to also position themselves as like a full-blown serverless platform, which I think is interesting. It seems like it'd be hard, but maybe they're just like, oh, we had to do all this work anyway. Why don't we just put put this in here and see what happens? Well, and, and that's what the, the uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, the WASM stuff, right? Was, um, oh, just drawing a blank on their name. Um, you know, the, the CDN provider who started letting you run functions on the CDN edges, right? right. That's, you know, you don't think of a CDN as your, as a, you know, yeah, they're a SaaS, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't really think of that as a serverless platform, but that's exactly what it is, right? right? Um, and, and so this is that murky area that we're kind of getting into where, you know, if, if I throw some logic into a SaaS, now it's a serverless platform. Yeah, and it's like, and, it. mm -hmm. well, the other one, the, and, uh, to round out the top five, Auth0 was the other one, right? And so they're pretty yeah. much identity and access management. Again, that makes, very much makes sense. Like you're trying to do some, some type of logic around authentication and things like that. Lots of need to kind of run simple functions to authenticate people, do some you know different checking, write some custom logic. So that made that to me made sense. Um, and but I didn't see on their website. I don't feel like they're strongly positioning themselves as the generalized platform. But maybe what you are, maybe you know, to your your broader point is, you know, at some point, all of these SaaS functions become serverless you know, platforms, because they're always going to provide some level of customization, right? Like write yeah. us a function and we'll just do it. So, you know, why not throw it in there? Okay. Interesting. I'm interested in that. But d d does that mean anybody who touches Auth0 is now a cloud native developer? That's <laughs> true. That's how we get these numbers big. That's how we make these. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I like these numbers being big. Um, cause that way, like, you know, if, uh, the, the people who, who are like, actually doing this kind of work, you know, they're going to be like, look, I actually know how these things work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the public cloud vendor because I think this is interesting. So again, like we always have to take AWS, like we talked about them enough. Number one, they're the number one. Again, it wasn't even close. Most of the time, they're always on the left-hand side with the big bars. But now the next four, again, no surprises the first two. Google Cloud, Google cloud Platform, Microsoft Azure, obviously very popular. The next two, very surprised to see this. Fourth was Heroku. I was yeah. like, welcome back, Haruku. Like, I feel like I've just completely forgotten about this. Like, are, I mean, are people, are you saying this a lot? Are people doing this a lot? A lot of there, applications out there? There are, you know, this, this, they are the old school, you know, cloud native platform, right? You, you do your build pack, you throw it on a Heroku. legacy cloud native platform at this point? Uh, ooh, I don't know. You know, they're owned by Salesforce. I know. Um, you know, but uh, I don't know. Um, sadly, I don't like spend a lot of time, uh, keeping up to date on what they're doing. So, you know, I, I assume there's a lot of like R and D happening there. They're, they're probably not just, you know, sitting on their coattails, but, uh, well, they are fourth. Uh, I mean, this is why we should give them their due. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Them. They're fourth. Like they beat out Oracle, IBM. The other one I'm shocked not to see, we didn't see really, I think on any of the top fives, Alibaba, like we're always talking about them. Like what's going on there. It's like, evidently at least nobody They're in the like surveys nine. using them. Yeah. I mean, you have to go way, way down in the, to find them. So, so it's, so it's a credit to Heroku. It's like, clearly people have built a lot of applications. Maybe they are still building a lot of applications. Yeah. We're just, don't it's think just about easy. It. It's right? just easy. It's been around. And then the other one, 
you know, we all, I always say like, who's using DigitalOcean? Well, they were in the top five as well, right? They were in the, yeah. and, and really after, after Heroku and DigitalOcean, it falls off way again. So it's like DigitalOcean clearly has a very nice segment of users. And I think, you know, we're always talking about like, hey, this seems like, they seem like they have a different tact in competing in this area, right? Sort of like, I don't know if you want to call it like more developer focus, very like, not bare bones, but like we do this, we do this really well. We're really focused in on providing great service. So I don't know. They kind of yep. remind me of a rack space, you know, kind of like an early rack space. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, a, is that what they consider be, that's be, a compliment? Be careful. Be careful on the compliments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, rack space, you know, lots of sharp folks working there, but, um, you know, the, the, not a great fit being a public, uh, publicly listed company. So, um, and I, I, I actually don't know if DigitalOcean is public or private, but um, you know, probably, probably they're doing pretty well. But uh, you know, they're not uh, threatening to to catch up with Microsoft and, and Amazon just yet. And and you know, that's the sort of stupid thing that the market would punish them for. You know? True, true. All right. Well, the last uh, numbers we'll hit here, and then we'll move on to something else. Is uh, talking about private cloud. So this surprised me. I don't know why, but AWS <laughs> is more popular with cloud native developers as a private cloud. And I'm just like, how is that possible? Like this yeah, stuff has yeah. like just barely been out. Like what do they all have this working? I was like, I don't I don't even believe this many people even have it all working yet on the private all the private cloud offerings from AWS. The, so this is or, the first time I just called the entire survey into question. I'm like, I just this makes no sense. Well and it's it's the sort of things like, you know, if you do public cloud and private cloud, you know, are you a you know a, you know what what defines a cloud native developer? Well, what defines a private cloud developer? If you're using what if you're using you know a functions as a service platform on AWS and in your private cloud? Does that mean you're using it on AWS privately? You know, there are these weird transitive survey results that I don't get, and I'm wondering if that's what we're seeing here. If like you know they're not using Lambda in private cloud, maybe they are, or you know. So, so you know, probably there's some of that Amazon appliance stuff in there, but there's probably also some, you know, they're not running Lambda on AWS, but they're running some other platform as a service, you know, package on AWS that they also run in-house. Does that transitively mean that they're running AWS in private cloud? I don't know, but I, it's just, this is just questionable fun. results because the next, the next four, <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I, I have nothing to add other than like the fact that AWS is first confuses me. It just makes me feel like, they were just, everyone just clicked that, Amazon. Yeah. You know, it's just like they're just taking a survey. Like, yes, yeah, Amazon. That's what I do. Yeah, it's like why not? <laughs> Microsoft next. Okay, I see that. But VMware is third, and I'm just like, well, that's obviously I don't know. To me, it's like yeah, that's like everyone has VMware. I mean, everyone's using it. So I don't know if the people that call themselves cloud native developers, they may not know it, but they're if they're in the private cloud, they're probably touching VMware every single day, like multiple times a day. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. This gets into that, and then. Uh, and then Red Hat and then IBM. So I guess the Red Hat IBM thing is a weird thing. If you actually added those together, but I know uh, what is the saying? Uh, red stays red, blue stays blue. That's the that's that's the mantra there. <laughs> so I know. I guess they're not doing that. But if I'm going to do it anyway, if we add red and blue together, um, they would be basically at the same level of VMware, which I think is. You know, I don't know what IBM. That's where they want to be, right? I think so. I think I think <laughs> that's they probably, do. Yeah. You know. Private cloud enemy number one. Yeah, so they can, I don't know, so they can work it out with themselves. But that, that wasn't a surprise there because it really does feel like, uh, you know, VMware, uh, Tanzu, Tanzu, and then Red Hat OpenShift, right? I mean, that's what's battling that out. I think on the, on the true, on what I think of as like a different um, way to run clouds. That's, that's really the private cloud battle that I think we're going to see. So, all right, well, we like these, you know, we like surveys, always send us surveys because uh, if nothing else, it gives us something to criticize. So that's, always, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, that's what we do here at the we, show. We, we we like we like the the visibility. You know, nobody nobody actually knows what's going on. Yeah, nobody. Knows uh, what's but going but but we're all you know touching the elephant, and uh, this you know there's there's definitely value here. No, it was. And I, was know, I know we're, see... we're criticizing, but we love it. I do, and I was really it was the things I I loved to see was like I learned some stuff about Heroku, DigitalOcean, Twilio. Like, I learned I what like... Vulture is. I had no idea. Never heard of Vulture until this survey. That's and apparently right. they're they're bumping around at 2%. So, All right. In other news, Salesforce, who I guess, man, we've talked a lot about them. Okay, they're going to uh, help businesses return to work with a new set of tools, Matt. Did you look at all this? Did you look at some of the tools that they're announcing? One of the ones, so it's basically how to manage, I guess, 
pandemic kind of return to work with uh, the pandemic. And so my question is like, so they're going to have like manual contact tracing and things like that. So I went out to the website work.com. I think it is. And they basically had, I think it was five different offerings under this and they were all coming soon. And I was like, Hmm, is this, <laughs> is this? I was like, I don't know. Like, oh. I don't know how to feel about it. I, part of me felt like, okay, that's good that they're being reactive to the market and like there's going to be a lot of need for this. Another part of me felt like, I don't know, this just seems kind of maybe wrong. Like, yeah. like do, I mean, if you're really going to do something, like maybe just launch one thing and get it going, not try to say there are five different things that you're trying to do. What are your thoughts? Uh, similar, right? So, so Australia unloaded um, their contact tracing app and their it's it's opt in, you know, but they they have kind of said publicly like we you know we need this data to help us justify reopening things up, and so like uh, fine, you know, guilted guilted me into running their their COVID nineteen app, and uh, it sucks because <laughs> it requires you to leave Bluetooth on, it drains your battery, right. um, and and essentially it's like you know my phone sits in my basement with me, and you know we go out you know once or twice a day, and you know but now I have to plug my phone in during the day. Um, that's, that's kind of the benefit I get from it. And, you know, they're already kind of like, well, we don't know if there's really any benefits here. You know, the way it records statistics about contact, it's like, and now Salesforce wants to do something similar for what, for within the enterprise, when people start going back to the offices, they'll, you know, have a, a subset of that, you know, contact tracing just for your workers. Does it, do all the workers have to use it? I mean, it just seems. Well, that's my that's what you're getting to. Like, so some of the things that are coming soon. This is it. So we talked about the contact tracing. They have the employee wellness assessment, workforce oh. reskilling, which is in itself kind of just a negative kind of has a negative feeling to me. Emergency response management, um, and rapid crisis response. And there's a few other things. And so, listen, I want we all want to see technology help real problems and especially in this time of i don't know i guess a lot of uh lots of going uh, bad stuff happening in the world so it's it's great they're doing something but i guess i wanted to speak for all of all of the, just the rank and file employees like i don't want like just more web forms with boxes that management <laughs> is just like just constantly sending me emails to fill out like why haven't you done this thing and then when you do it it's just incredibly hard to edit any text into it you lose all context and you just immediately go into the mode of like, I'm just checking some box here that I don't think anyone else is ever going to read. And we're making ourselves feel good. It's like, we need less of those apps. Like that is my biggest thing. I <laughs> so, don't so, want so any what, more yeah. apps like that. They've, they've taken the, uh, the internal survey monkey and net promoter scores and turned them into apps. And Please. like, yeah, yeah, we've all been that's... there. You know, we've all seen these apps. Like the wellness assessments are just the worst, right? You never feel better after having taken that. You're never like, wow, I've really gotten. <laughs> well, that, that, and that's the terrible thing about this COVID 19 tracing app. Every time I pick up my phone, it reminds me what's going on. Yeah. And I'm like, I wish, you know, and, 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 and it's, it's like, you know, don't turn this app off or it's not working. It's like, well, but I hate this app. You know, it just, you know, I, I don't want to look, you know, Every time I pick up my phone, you know, I, I want to check tomorrow's weather. Oh, wait, it'll be coronavirus, right? I, I just, I need it to stop. But, you know, and, and you know, the, the way the contact tracing works, it's like it's still kind of questionable if it's any value because, um, you know, everybody has to use it. Uh, but maybe maybe that's how we get our, our cloud-native users there. They're contact tracing for, for you know, talking to SaaS. Yeah, well, that's, that's true. If you're going to build <laughs> it. If you're in contact with somebody who uses a SaaS, you're a cloud-native yeah. developer. Well, at least they're going to build it on Haruko, and they're going to have plenty of uh, good cloud-native developers there. All right, let's go on to uh, something a little bit more positive. And, you know, something, again, we begin. We probably are the, the world's leading podcast on Fortnite. So we talked about it last week. <laughs> And we're back. So remember I said last week, I was like, man, I'm really interested in this idea of Fortnite just meeting together. Well, it, they listened to me personally. And they have a, a totally new way of doing it. What is it called? Uh, it's a party royale, right? So now they have gotten oh, yeah. to the point that you can go in there and um, there's, there's no fighting. You can just watch like essentially an appearance. So uh, and then I, I watched this uh, one and friend of the show here, uh, 
Brian, he actually put it out here. It's like, I guess it's, I don't know, Matt. This is a music thing. So I'm going to sound like, is it Diplo? You know, the DJ? Yeah. I don't know. So yeah. anyway, he did a an entire show inside a party royale. So I watched it. Uh, and so what happens is you get in there. You still have some of the weapons, but they just shoot like, uh, I don't know, like balloons and plungers. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I watched part of it. I was like, it actually was pretty good. You know, I was like, one. Yep. One, I have no idea. Like, I had no idea who D- uh, Diplo was. I was like, this is actually really good. I really enjoyed this music. So one, that's uh, – and two, I thought it was fun. It was fun to, like, see people in there and back to, like – you know, I guess it was interesting because he was yelling, like, uh, let me see the emotes. So it was kind of funny to see people all, like, start to do the various emotes. But this article that we have in the show notes kind of talks about, like, you know, the next step. They call this idea of the metaverse, right, the physical world <laughs> and the virtual world. Snow crash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, hard to, like – everyone's read it, so, like, what will – what will it really look like? But you do get a sense of like, as you know, I'm on all these teams calls. I know you're on your zoom calls. We're on, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it it does kind of, every time I see it and, you know, especially when they took the fighting out, it's like, yes, there needs something like this needs to exist. This, you know, kind of, we talked about before about how what's going to displace AWS. We don't know, but something like this is going to displace video conferencing. I think so. Uh, Well, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, I was talking about the, the virtual cameras in Zoom. Um, so if you have virtual cameras on, you can start doing overlays of your video. And uh, I've got a, a screenshot from a call I was on where uh, <laughs> someone had replaced themselves with a cat with a headset and someone else was a demon and they were in front of the White House with an American flag. It's like, that's the future, right? <laughs> so um, Fortnite, you better hurry. Because uh, Zoom is is clearly coming for you. <laughs> um, this is it was it was uh, uncanny um, to to be on here because you know the eyebrows were were tracing, the mouth was uh, the tongue worked um, as you know we're having this Zoom conference call with uh, a cat and a demon. Um, so uh, maybe that's the future. I don't know. Uh, I continue to not use virtual backgrounds because. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, Matt, we're going to be uh, rotated out of the game by then. I'm just yes, saying, we won't yeah. even know. Like, we'll be telling people we run Zoom calls, and they will look at no, us no. like, what at, are at you this talking rate, about? The game is, you know, the it, the rotations probably come in like in three months. You mm-hmm. know, it's there's going to be you know Fortnite for the enterprise, and uh, you know it'll be like FE Fortnite Enterprise. <laughs> well, again, I've been consulting my Fortnite expert again, that being my son. I asked him, I was like, Hey, can I start my own party Royale myself? Like, can I just get all my friends in there? So, cause we're always talking about like doing a specific, you know, some kind of live event at software defined talk. So I don't know, maybe this is it. Maybe we need maybe, to get a party Royale going. There, there's already been, there's already been the, uh, the animal crossing conference, right? Oh, so maybe total. I didn't even get it. Maybe. Installed. Maybe legacy comp needs to be inside of Fortnite. Royale. Royale. We may have our venue. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have been asking, so we may have Ravinia. All right, well, listen, love Fortnite. You know, we'll continue to, uh, as the definitive world's number one Fortnite podcast, we're going to make sure we make you aware of all the news, so, so don't worry about it. The other thing I did want to mention, because a lot of people in the Software Defined Talks, uh, I guess, you know, they posted about it, that Keybase joined Zoom. And uh, I have to say, never heard of Keybase before today. Right? And, uh, <laughs> Several people were sad about it. They were like, oh, we, we're missing out. So I installed it today. I installed the app just to see just before it went. But I think the short story is uh, Keybase has all this great encryption technology. Zoom's going to just you know snatch them up, and I would assume just integrate all that functionality in there. So I don't know if there's anything. Yeah. What do, 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 as we talked about before the show, you, you have no experience with Keybase yourself? I <laughs> well, I, I knew what it was, right? And it's you know public place to keep your your public keys, right? right? So, you know, they were trying to, uh, you know, so help, uh, fight the, the ever never ending problem of, of, you know, p- public key distribution and, you know, doing some encryption stuff, probably offering some sort of functions as a service, uh, you know, cause <laughs> you know, we're all cloud native. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those things like, I should do that. I should do that. You know, and it's just like over the years, like I should do that. And now, you know, now they're acquired. Um, so it's probably you know just a matter of time before you know uh, GitHub rolls out a lot of this functionality because uh, that's probably you know where a lot of that uh, synergy was happening uh, was in developers you know sharing their encryption keys and stuff. It's kind of niche, but 
you know, uh, good luck. That's a nice outcome. I mean, clearly Zoom needs some help with security. Clearly Keybase has done a lot of it. So it's, I think it's probably a great outcome from them. And to your point, like the functionality that people missed, I think will quickly be replicated uh, to other places. I mean, I know it's not exactly the same thing, but I just like to me, it's just everything that I need to secure. One password, just everything goes in there. I just, that's my, that's my place. I don't know. It does, maybe it doesn't do exactly what Keybase does, but that's what I do. So, um, so go for it. All right. Um, all right, Matt, any other exciting news that you want to talk about before we wrap up here? Anything else I'm jumping good. on at you? Save it for next week. That's right. Save it for next week. That'd be more, more reasons to come out. Well, listen, if uh, you would like uh, to join us uh, you know, between episodes, make sure you subscribe to the Software Defined Talk Slack, which is available at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And uh, there are a bunch of conferences that are almost all virtual. I think we did need to make one thing that we talked about. I think, Matt, you talked to Bridget, and there is no DevOps Day Minneapolis this year, right? That's been year. So we took that out. So right. wish them well for next year. Uh, somebody... Uh, I think our friend uh, Dominic uh, from MongoDB, he put in a, uh, a conference. It's FlylessConf. I don't know if you saw this one, Matt. I guess it's a, a developer relations conference, a way to talk about virtual, uh, how to do, mm-hmm. I think, uh, developer evangelism. It's on May 27th. So if you're a developer advocate, want to talk to other people, probably check that one off. And Matt, you still ChefConf 2020? You still, still you know in? I, I you gave, uh, I gave I gave my talk yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so we can we can take that one out of the show notes. Uh, yeah, so ChefConf is doing um, rather than have like one big twenty four hour conference, uh, we're doing what we call ChefConf Live Sessions, where we record the content the month up to the actual event, and then at the event we'll have you know keynotes and you know customers giving talks, uh, but everything else will be made available. Um, you know, through the conference app and, and through YouTube. So, uh, uh, my talk in the can and, uh, thanks, thanks to all y'all who came yesterday. Uh, it's all up on GitHub. Uh, if you want to, uh, you know, recreate the, the excitement of my live demos. I'm in, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that all weekend, <laughs> all weekend, just run that over and over. Um, the other show, MongoDB, they have their, uh, live event June 9th and 10th. So that's mongodb.live. That'll take you right to, uh, their conference, and then uh, are some friends that were still the that conference, and we've been talking about that's the one up in Wisconsin. It's going to happen in August, so they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. So they actually put a survey on their website. So if you're interested, if you're in that area, thought thinking about going, or maybe you don't want to go and you want it to be virtual, you should fill out their survey. You know, tell them what you want. Um, so those are all the conferences. I do want to thank Barry from San Francisco. Uh, he sent in, so he, he told me he works in procurement. He says he, he doesn't, um, probably not our target audience, but he's been sucked in. That's fine. That's what we want. Procurement people can listen. Anyone can listen. You know, you don't, you don't have to be a cloud native developer. We accept everyone. All listeners are welcome. He's probably a cloud native developer because he logs into Salesforce. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Barry, if anything, you need to update your resume, update your resume, maybe get a little (laughs) bit more money. So uh, I sent him some stickers and Matt, if you would like some stickers, you can email me at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Just send your postal address. I can send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And with that, Matt, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, so I finished reading a, a book called uh, Small Victories, The True Story of Faith No More. Um, Faith No More is uh, one of my favorite bands. And so uh, somehow I, I missed this book. It came out in 2018. Uh, it's a semi-authorized biography of the band where, um, you know, if you're not a fan, it might be over the top how obsessively researched it is. Uh, he interviewed like everybody who's ever been involved in the band. And there's like 18 people um, who have been in the band at some point. Uh, So it's, it's full of interesting stories. Uh, You know, if you like the band, it's worth reading. You know, I mean, it's full of, full of awesome stuff. I learned a ton of things. Uh, So, so, you know, it's a 10 out of 10. If you're a faith, no more fan, Uh, if you're not, it might be over the top for you. Well, hey, man, that, you know, that's what we're all about here at Software Defined Talk. Over the top. Over the top. <laughs> everything. All right. My uh, recommendation this week is American Factory. It's a documentary on Netflix. And um, Matt, do you remember the, the movie Gung Ho? I think it's in the 1980s. Yes, with Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. Well, that was about a Japanese factory coming to the United States and kind of uh, – 
the uh, melding of that. American Factory is a real-life documentary of a Chinese uh, company opening a factory in Ohio. I can't remember exactly what. And was it's it fascinating. Or- um, no, it wasn't Foxconn. It was, did they um, actually open a factory? They did. No, they do the whole thing. Uh, and, that, okay. and it reminds me um, you know, of that movie, which is very old at this point. I was like, gosh, I had to look up Gung Ho. I was like, wow, it's like the 80s. So it's, it's forever. But um, it was interesting because it reminded me so much of that movie. But it's really actually really well told. You get, a, I think, an interesting view into um, – because they spend some time in the U.S. and like opening that factory. And then they go visit the factories in China. And so you get like a real interesting look at the different cultures. I think that was the thing that was striking. So I think it won some awards and stuff like that. And, of course, it's like several years old. But, you know – I got time on my hand, time on my hands, Matt. So I've been uh, searching for other new things to watch on Netflix. So I really enjoyed it. So if you're interested in documentaries that are well done on Netflix, um, you should definitely check that one out. Enjoy it. All right. Well, if this is the first time you've uh, ever listened to Software Defined Talk, you can probably subscribe in your podcast player of choice, or you can go out to softwaredefinedtalk.com. And there, you know what we have, Matt? We have links to, I believe, all the major podcast players. We're not like Vox and all these other popular podcasts, when you try to go to the website, they make it almost impossible to subscribe in anything other than Google Play or Apple Podcasts. We don't do that, Matt. I think we got them all. I no. mean, Cote put us links for, like, everything. You know? And if you don't, you know what? In fact, if you don't find the podcast player link that, of your choice, just send it to us. I'll add it. I'll add it. I'm sure we can do it. Yep. Um, I even think, you know, Matt, there was some talk in the Slack about an Emacs podcast player. So maybe we need to, yes. to find a way uh, to do that. Get you to, maybe no. we need you to do a live demo <laughs> of that one. No. <laughs> I, I, no. I, I love me some Emacs, but you got to draw the line somewhere. Draw the line there? Well, hey, when Matt Ray says that, you know it's time to end the show. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>